You know, one of the things I know you from is having coined a malignant narcissism. And I wondered, could you help our audience understand what is the difference between healthy narcissism, benign, and then malignant? Narcissism means, in technical language, the quality of one's self-appreciation, self-regards, self-esteem, the security one feels within oneself, the stability of one's concept of oneself. It's a normal function of pleasure with oneself, pleasure with one's experiences, with one's relations with others, with one's success, with one's gratification of one's own need. That's normal narcissism. Abnormal narcissism or pathological narcissism is characteristic of a certain personality disorder called narcissistic personality disorder that has been described uh, for the last uh, 30 years and myself and my Institute for Personality Disorders have contributed to this study and of course there was significant empirical research from many sources. It's characterized by an abnormal development of the feeling of self-regard leading to a sense of grandiosity, importance, superiority, and maybe accompanied with a sense of omnipotence, a wish for dominance, and by the same token, a decrease of the capacity to invest in relations with significant others. Others tend to be depreciated, ignored, or envied because they have important qualities that we want to acquire. So we try to imitate them, uh, suck them dry of whatever they have and we want to get, and then to drop them, like a dried out lemon. So one's relationship with others are impoverished. Narcissistic personalities have an exaggerated view of their importance, their grandiosity, no tolerance for any criticism, they have a sense of entitlement, greediness, then may become exploitive, and when their feelings of grandiosity are challenged because of criticism, they have difficulty of reacting normally, and they immediately their self-esteem may collapse, so the grandiosity is like a bubble that, that explodes. And then they shift from grandiosity to feeling inferior, ashamed, humiliating, depressed, until their sense of grandiosity reconstitutes itself. In their relation with others, they have difficulty of establishing intimacy with others, difficulty in maintaining love relations over an extended period of time. They tend to devalue their sexual partners as part of the general tendency to devalue others. And very often you find them having sexual promiscuity. They fall in love, apparently get infatuated, lasts a few months, then they get disappointed, on to the next, and from one, one to the next. So they have a lack of capacity for maintained intimacy, 
and a lack of capacity for empathy, very great difficulty in really assessing others in depth. They can't assess themselves realistically because of that grandiosity that occasionally shifts into total inferiority, but usually is maintained. And others are for them, I would almost say, mysterious, except their external behavior that they may attentively observe in order to get admiration that they do need from others, ongoing admiration to bolster their, their grandiose self. At the same time, they have a chronic feeling of emptiness because they lack the internalization of significant others, the internal world of friends, relatives, people whom you love, whom you love and who love you. So there's a sense of emptiness. And in addition, the more severe cases have problems in their internal ethical system, their, their value system. They are honest not because they would feel guilty being dishonest, but because they feel ashamed if they are caught. So they are honest out of shame, not out of guilt. It's a shame culture, not a guilt culture. If they, they can't respond to criticism that's discreet, if it's extreme, they respond getting depressed. They have no, no... They can't uh, regulate. Yeah, they can't, that's right. Under more severe circumstances still, they may develop antisocial behavior. Exploitiveness, lying, stealing, conning, or if they are aggressively infiltrated, then attack, destruction of property, attack on people, and when um, aggression predominates, it infiltrates what we call their pathological grandiose self, and that becomes aggressive. And then you find people who are grandiose and very aggressive against others, and also against themselves. And they become also very suspicious, because they attribute their own aggression toward other people. So when we find a combination of patients with narcissistic personality and severe aggression with egocentric aggressive behavior against self and or others and antisocial behavior and paranoid, suspicious, distrustful tendencies, we talk about the syndrome of malignant narcissism, which is the worst-case scenario of the narcissistic personality. The next more extreme degree is no longer the narcissistic personality, but the antisocial personality in a strict sense with total loss or absence of any moral conscience. Those patients no longer can be treated. That's the limit of what we can do to help. So it's a spectrum from benign to malignant yeah, narcissism. Right. And it, it's a shame-based culture, you said? The, the narcissistic personality, if they obey moral laws and, and legalities, is in order not to be caused and to be humiliated, not because they have an internal sense of moral justice. And do people, you describe the spectrum, but people have qualities of yes. all of these. Aren't they complicated? They have antisocial behaviors. They have malignant narcissistic behaviors. Um, they are practically, we talk about the, the ordinary narcissistic personality disorder, 
without antisocial features, who still maintain ordinary morality, still are able to, even if they have problems in intimacy, they are able to commit themselves to people, to relation, to work, although they are grandiose and omnipotent and have problems both in intimacy and at work. Then, more severe degree, they begin with antisocial behavior. So more, they're often involved in organizations. They, well, they involve the organization in several ways. An ordinary narcissistic personality may be dominant, pushy, inconsiderate of colleagues. Gradually, people dislike them. They don't know why, but they have really problem. They don't get promoted. They don't do well. Many, of course, are extremely ambitious and want to become CEOs immediately. So they, if they are talented and intelligent, they will work very hard and they get to the top. So there are organizations which have leaders with narcissistic personality. That's not good for the organization because once they are in a position of leadership of an organization, then all the problems show. First, they can't receive real good feedback. They don't tolerate criticism. They only accept apple polishes around themselves. So they run the risk of getting isolated. They run the risk of antagonizing or, or pushing away honest critics and surrounding themselves by yes-men and people who are opportunistic. And at the same time, um, um, demand to be loved and everybody should count out to them, which exhausts the organization. And because, although they, are, they may be very talented, because in the long run they cannot consider the needs of the human needs of the organization, they create an enormous stress and they create the risk also of bad decisions because there is no feedback and nobody who is really helping them to have a really a, a, a viable uh, source of um, corrective opinions. And you speak specifically of, of them having trouble with decision-making in, in relevance to trouble with time? Is that right? That they can feel an urgency to no, make a decision? No, no, no. Not an urgency, but they have to make it by themselves, tend to be absolutely secure in it, and sometimes that leads them to make wrong decisions. Now, when you get somebody with a syndrome of malignant narcissism to write an organization, that's a disaster because then everybody not only has to love the leader but obey the leader and they attack viciously whoever seems to be on their way so that the entire organization gets in to a paranoid mood and the organization divides into three levels. On the top, you have the psychophants, the yes-men, usually with antisocial features themselves, opportunists and dishonest, a psychopathic layer. Underneath, the large majority becomes extremely paranoid. People are suspicious of everybody mutually. Who is going to betray me? The entire organization acquires a high level of paranoia genesis. And at the bottom are people with depressed features, usually the best people in the organization, who can't stand that and eventually leave 
So this division into three levels is a consequence of a leadership by malignant narcissism. As you're speaking, of course, I'm thinking of Hitler, Stalin, Mao. <laughs> yes, yes. Are these models uh, that drove uh, you? Mao, I haven't really studied. I, I, I can't say, but I have studied uh, life and biography of both Hitler and Stalin, and they are typical examples of uh, malignant narcissism. In the case uh, of Hitler, the grandiosity, um, not being able to listen to anybody. He was a disaster as a commander-in-chief of the German army, um, profoundly distrustful, uh, hateful. Uh, of course, his uh, selected enemies were the Jews, almost delusional. Uh, there was an element of enormous personal aggression and sadism when there was the um, attempt at his life. He had all the leading conspirators hanged by piano wires, been a very slow death, had them filmed while they were agonizing for hours and then for weeks saw these films again and again. So the, the grandiosity led him and the country to their ruin and the same was true for Stalin. Grandiosity, distrust, manipulativeness and sadism. People who were already had been condemned and were going to be picked up um, by the secret police. He invited them of his circle uh, to have tea with him in the afternoon and people who were invited for tea never knew whether it was as a reward system or because they had already been selected for elimination and Stalin enjoyed greatly the terrible anxiety people. They were not psychopaths. Psychopath, the antisocial personality, no longer has the capacity for any consistency. So they, they, these are already antisocial individuals who don't have a capacity for leadership. They're, both Hitler and Stalin had a tremendous organizational capacity. They, they knew how to get to the top. So you would call them antisocial malignant narcissists? This, these are um, malignant. I think that's, that fits both Stalin and Hitler. Yes. I, I think people would be very surprised to know that who we are discussing, malignant narcissists, would have a core of insecurity that's easily penetrated. In the case of malignant narcissism, it's more difficult to penetrate it because their suspiciousness and their hostility tends to devalue whoever attacks or criticizes them. So they have, by their aggression against others, they are defended the less severe narcissistic personalities are much more frail and suffer from feelings of inferiority than those uh, those patients with malignant narcissism. Although when patients with malignant narcissism feel kind of um, pushed into a corner, they may become suicidal if, if they lose their omnipotence, preferable to get out of life. Or exhibit symptoms, bodily symptoms that are self-aggressive. Uh, yeah, well, there are patients, yes, whose uh, chronic self-mutilating behavior has that basis of, of self-destructive impulses. It's not only borderline patients who are self-mutilating. Very severely narcissistic patients present that also. If 
if a person uh, stands up to a narcissist that refuses to capitulate to a narcissist demands, is that a methodology for people to resist narcissistic aggression? What personality structure would allow a malignant narcissist to back off? Let's first of all talk about what would facilitate it. If you, if you, if they have a sexual partner who is severely masochistic, they are perfectly happy. But if a, if a normal person stands up to them, of course they would. The relationship would end. They would dismiss that relationship, end it. So, normal person would only be able to free himself or herself from that relationship. In an organization, it is a major issue when you have narcissistic personality who fails in leadership position. That requires usually that those at the second level, uh, immediately administratively below the leadership, get together and confront the leader or the board of the organization that requires collective action. If anybody does it singly, he will simply be thrown out. Yeah. So, in organizationally, one has to, one has to confront them as a group situation and that may become difficult in the case of malignant narcissism because the mutual paranoia is such that people can't get together and and once that free layering has taken place and on the top you have all the antisocial personalities, they just intrigue against each other to keep themselves in, in power. That's uh, what happened around Hitler. It's interesting that the most um, dishonest person of the entire bunch, Goebbels, was his closest friend. And his closest associates were narcissists who... Um, who were only oriented to do whatever their Führer wanted, Göring, Bormann, Himmler. But they knew they couldn't be Hitler. No, they could not be. They, they did not have the kind of grandiosity and the demagogic talent, which was a real talent, Hitler had. Are these qualities innate in people, or do they develop? Does someone go from being a benign narcissist to a malignant narcissist? Is it a process that happens in life, or do, are they born with tendencies? No, no. It is a, it's a development that takes place usually in childhood. One can make the diagnosis at ages five on. Uh, my first wife, Dr. Paulina Kernberg, who died in 2006, was the first one to describe narcissistic personalities in children. Is intervention possible? Yes. Uh, in fact, treating them, if you make the diagnosis in childhood, it's much better prognosis. Then it becomes, in adulthood, these are lengthy psychotherapeutic treatments. They are particularly difficult during adolescence. And in early adulthood, when everything goes, youth, health, growth, power, success feeds into the personality. Once youth and health and power fade, they get depressed in the in their fifties and sixties. They get depressed. And at that point it's easier to start treating them and improve life later on.
it's not quite politically correct to start talking about five-year-olds as malignant narcissists and the need to intervene. There aren't many mothers who would say, yes, my, my child is a malignant. Well, not a malignant, but maybe has well, narcissistic there are, traits. There are parents who are afraid of their 10 years old. Right. They know. Right. Right. And do you think it's got a genetic? The genetic disposition may be to the intensity of negative affects determining strong, aggressive tendencies. But usually, on top of this, is an early childhood in which there was a significant lack of normal love relations, a tendency to use the child as a source of admiration for the parents, but not loved in itself. Or the child learns that it can be admired, but is not loved. So it may be a confluence of both these type of features. Thank you very much for joining us. Enjoyed uh, your insights. Okay. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate your patience with me, waiting for me, and the limitation of time. We're very honored to have you here. Thank you. Okay.